the character of leadership is a 13 dimensional function. And in order to be like the, an amazing leader, you need, you need to be proficient in all these different dimensions of character, mm-hmm. you know, integrity and, and honesty. Like there's multiple facets of being a good leader. And if, if you're weak in any one dimension, you know, it might really take away from being really maximizing your potential. So it's being a well-rounded individual who's, you know, basically does things for the right reasons. Yes. Right. And, 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 and the character behind that to make the decisions that may not be the most popular decision, uh, might not be the most profitable decision, might upset someone that you're cl- like, it might be a harder decision to make, but it's that character that I think, yeah. you know, leaders of tomorrow need to have that's going to really, you know, propel society. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Um- we just got an amazing young leader with us today, Derek Panzer. Uh, Derek Panzer has has climbed sort of the the sales and sales technology path through Xerox into medical sales, and we talk about the pathway that that uh, a lot of our successful leaders have chose chosen in the past. And so we have a great conversation about that. And what really excites me about what Derek's up to is he's founding a sustainable vertical agricultural company in London, Ontario, and has funding about to launch. And it's, it's, you know, tune into the story about what they're, they're hoping to create this, this, uh, you know, small startup uh, with big dreams and big aspirations about cutting the, the transportation costs, cutting the food wastage in our agricultural system in Canada. So really, really an amazing story. Really grateful that Derek was able to tune in for us. And hey, enjoy enjoy this uh, conversation that we're having. And you know what I ought to Please share this story with other amazing young leaders who want to join a program that can help develop them into the leaders they want to be. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic day. Derek, so excited to welcome you on to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Happy to yeah. be here. Yeah, no, it's really awesome, and it's it's really great to connect. And I must say, I, I love LinkedIn for that because I was I was seeing your progress over the years. Obviously, we spent some time together, and and then you know saw you know you sort of making progress, and 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 it's great it's great to see all the progress. And then I was able to reach out and and and, and reconnect. So it's just awesome. So I'm excited about this conversation. But let's yeah, take you back to before you went to Western, you know, who was who was Derek Panzer? Sure. Uh, happy to share. So not much to tell, really, but no. Kidding. <laughs> um, so growing up, I, I was a big hockey guy. So I played a lot of competitive hockey. I moved away when I was 16, you know, chasing the dream of, of becoming a, a professional hockey player. Uh, you know, that... I, ton of great experiences through hockey, met a lot of different people, uh, right. you know, different experience, different high schools even. Um, and, uh, you know, was drafted in the OHL uh, to the Erie Otters. Okay. Uh, didn't end up playing because of, you know, it was an American team and I was still pretty academically focused and, and yeah. just, you know, I was kind of a fringe guy and, and figured that uh, 
going the route of a scholarship would have made more sense for me at the time. As I say, decided to come home home and and pursue that. Didn't work out. So uh, I ended up at uh, Western. And that was really, you know, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do at the time. I I, yeah, I have a brother that was that's an engineer. Uh, he mm-hmm. growing up, he was really like laser focused on becoming an engineer. He knew from the time he was nine that he wanted to be a mechanical engineer. Okay, I had no idea. I wanted to put pucks in the net. Yeah, right. So when I applied to university, I, I had good grades. So I, I applied, uh, I think, to five different programs from degrees ranging from kinesiology to engineering to business. Okay, just all over the map. And I ended up settling on uh, Western for business because it just simply because I knew it would, wouldn't close any doors and I wouldn't really, uh, you know, pigeonhole me into something that I you know, didn't want to do Did you want to? You know, five years down the road or something. So that kind of led me into to Western and into business. So I was a local guy, but right. having moved around with hockey, that's, you know, as a local London guy, decided that, no, I've, I've had my taste of that and decided to stay home more or less. So. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So we bumped into you. We were able to recruit you onto our team. Any, 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 uh, you know, lessons from, from, you know, uh, working with us for a couple of years and, 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 uh, you know, what, what do you take away from that? Sure. Yeah. Big lessons. It was a, you know, an eye opening experience. So basically I think I got to know myself a lot better when I was in student work. So my first year, in the program, I was not as a manager. I was actually as a painter because okay. uh, my girlfriend at the time was a manager and she allowed me to paint while I taught at hockey school. So okay. I had a good two month job while, uh, you know, before I ran into hockey schools and that was the rest of my summer. So, you know, it was kind of the first, you know, eye opener as far as what the program was all about. Okay. Um, and I said to myself, man, I could really see myself doing that. I want to be on the other side of the brush, I suppose. And, and yeah. I want to you know, be selling. So uh, that led me into being, uh, you know, a manager uh, the following year. And um, right. as I say, that was my first taste of really selling. Yes. Uh, and that's kind of where it all clicked for me. I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I enjoy this. This is where, you know, this is a competitive outlet for me. This is. Yes. Uh, yeah, I could see myself definitely exploring the career in sales because it kind of just checked a lot of boxes that I previously didn't know existed. I, you know, I suppose always like making money, always like you know being competitive. It addressed both of those uh, rather nicely for a university student. Right, right. And, and so you had you had a, a a couple really successful years with us, and then I guess you know looking out when when you're graduating, what were you focused on in terms of next steps after graduation? Yeah. So I think a lot, you know, a lot of that, my next steps were, were, you know, kind of following in the footpath of some other previous student works uh, managers. Uh, mm-hmm. They've gone on to, you know, sales uh, jobs, uh, you know, at Xerox and Canon. Yeah. Uh, and that really, you know, and I heard such amazing things about that being a great springboard uh, into your professional sales career uh, with respect to the training and, and whatnot. And so that's where I was focused. Ongoing and and basically, uh, I started my career with Xerox in April of my graduating year. So I hadn't even finished my exams, uh, and I was already working for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, as I say, it was just uh, you know saw what other student works uh, you know alumni were doing in the industry, making good money, getting the good good training, and and saying great things. And 
they say the opportunity came up for me to do the same and I, I followed suit. So, yeah. And just for our, our, um, our, our young leaders listening, it's, it's kind of at the time Xerox, Canon, Lexmark, you know, those types of companies were really a lot of the feeder for sales organizations, not saying they aren't now, they are, and there's other companies as well that are feeding the sales program. And just, just to brag for you, Derek, Derek was a President's Club winner, 2007, 2008, 2010, 150% plus of sales target. So well done, Derek. Um, but it, when, we, when, we, when we talk about Xerox, like what did, you, what did you take? Obviously, we teach you a really great sales program and it's kind of next level and more business to business where we're business to consumer. What sort of differences right. did you learn? What did you learn from, from, from the, the, the Xerox Canada and your sales, sales progression? Basically, and I still, you know, I learned it so well that I still use it today. Um, yeah. you know, Xerox does a really good job of teaching you, you know, sales process, you know, sales yeah. cycle management and sales process. Um, you know, similar to student works from a, you know, right from a cold call mm-hmm. all the way through, you know, what they call it, like client-centered selling, all the way to a close. And and basically, you know, with an undertone of, you know, discipline, uh, to, to get the job done, to continue to make those calls, right? Uh, to continue, you know, filling the funnel with prospects, uh, so on and so forth. So, no different than student works knocking on doors to get, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, your uh, your prospect list up, you know, and, and and closing as many proposals as you possibly can. A lot of transferable skills that way, and, and Xerox really put, you know, a really solid framework behind it, and, and really broke down, as they say, to, to give a, a more of a, a little more. Uh, business to business framework on on uh, selling. And one of the things I love to share with our leaders is is that one of the great things about joining a company like Xerox is yes, the training. And one of the things is you literally can just show people, here's my results. So people know that if somebody's 150% of plan, three out of the four years, there's a rock star performer. And I'm sure over time there were people through LinkedIn headhunters who were reaching out to you. Hey, Derek, do you want to come here? Hey, Derek, do you want to come here? Is that true? That is very true. Yeah, that's absolutely. Very true. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to date myself, but that was pre-LinkedIn. So, oh, okay. <laughs> but there, there'd be uh, for sure. Yeah. And as I say, when you, when you, when you brand yourself with, you know, in a sales organization like Xerox was at the time, you know, technology company, like it was at the time with yeah. those kind of results, it, it just, uh, it, you know, it speaks for itself, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and so then, so then your next opportunity. What had you? What had you look looking outward, and 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 why did you choose what you chose? Yeah, so I had a lengthy career at Xerox. So that was you know, seven years or so, six six or seven years with Xerox. Um, had a variety of different roles. You know, at that time, I kind of started looking elsewhere to see what else was available to me. Right, uh, they wanted me to, to move out of. Uh, uh, to a different area, and I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. So I was, ah, okay. I was curious, you know, going back to my entrepreneurial spirit, kind of getting involved with, uh, you know, smaller organizations, this, you know, ground fl- ground floor opportunities, right? Um, as a contrast to the big red machine, right? Um, and the big X. So I came across uh, just locally here in London, uh, a small kind of start. It wasn't a startup in the sense that. Uh, uh, they were just, you know, launching, but they were just on the on the verge of uh, a lot of growth. 
and right. some 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 uh, VC funding. So okay, you know, very much a startup in in a you know phase one funding sense. Okay, uh, and they were poised to take on a you know pretty big market, and that that excited me. So I was you know employee number ten type thing, and and okay, kind of wanted to uh, see what that was all about. So I I uh, left Xerox for this this role at a company named Lego. Okay, and so they were in the credit card processing space, and you know, um, and and so how how was that three years? What did you learn? What did you take away, etc. Yeah, um, completely different. You know, in a small enterprise uh, as we were, we were. I think I think from the time I was there, we went from maybe ten people to twenty five. Okay, uh, and the revenue you know doubled or tripled in that same time frame. Um, but it was interesting because you had to. You know, I was a sales guy. I was uh, leading up their outside sales uh, operation. Uh, however, you have to wear, you know, in a small organization, have to wear many, many hats. Okay. Uh, whether it's marketing function, um, you know, even a technical support standpoint, not necessarily providing any technical support. That's right. the way it's my capability, but connecting the dots and really being a solution provider in the true right. sense of the you are the face of the company. You uh, you have to coordinate, you know, your your organization's resources to provide ultimately that customers, uh, you know, provide value to that customer. You know, that was extremely interesting as a contrast to the Xerox role, because now I was, I was very much a small fish. We were a small fish in a very large pond. Right. Um, we sold to, you know, fortune 5,000 enterprise level customers, the billions and billions and billions of dollars in sales. Whereas right. we were very much, you know, in the, you know, in the beginning and uh, right. it was, you know, quite a different in, in approach and, and perception and, and uh, effort required to, you know, to sell the other way, I suppose. Whereas Xerox, right. we were the big guy selling to, you know, as a big customers. Company. Now yeah. you're a small guy selling to a lot of medium, small and medium sized enterprises. Yeah, exactly. And, and, as you say, it was it was interesting. I learned a lot because you, you can see how different size you know organizations operate and some of the you know the considerations they have uh, for you know business decision making or decision making in their businesses and so on and so forth. So it's it was quite a bit different than selling to a commercial printer who's you know family owned and you're sitting across the table from you know the, the owner of the business uh, who can make a decision on the spot. Right. So you you spent you spent three years and then you know one of the things I always like to share is for our leaders is that you know if you look at the the best opportunities in sales in terms of providing value thus providing value to you the salesperson is is medical and is SaaS you know software as a service is because they're the highest margin opportunities so were was it something that you were looking for that transition into that space or, or were they approaching you or what was happening there? Yeah, a little bit of both. I guess I soon realized after three years, I'm like this, you know, we were, we're selling globally. However, the role was very remote. So I was, you know, office in the office 90% of the time where I was used to being, you know, out in the field 90% of the time. So right. I didn't love that. Uh, yeah. So I, I started looking for, you know, just what other, you know, for other opportunities out there just from, you know, friends and colleagues and, in my network had always heard that medical devices were, you know, was an awesome industry to get into if I ever could. Uh, so that was always in the back of my mind. 
until one day I got a call from a recruiter about a position at my current employer, ConMed, uh, which is a medical device supplier. And, and yeah, the rest is history. So that was about eight years ago. And and I'm there to this day. So I, as I say, I got into the, the role I am now and say it was, it was kind of a, you know, I'm going to say love at first sight because it was exactly something that I was looking was to looking. do. Get back out in the field. It was selling technology that obviously, you know, had a real purpose, right? And a real meaningful sell. So that you're, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the sell, you're you're not selling a widget. You're not selling whatever it may be. You're selling something that actually is going to impact a patient's uh, life potentially. Right. Um, right. Your experience. So it was. Uh, it was. Uh, Quickly, I, I found a lot of a lot of uh, fulfillment from from the role. So, okay. So, what does ConMed sell? What do, what are you what what are you selling? What's the what's the the service? yeah? So our our business. So in, in Canada or globally, we basically have two two main business units. We have uh, an orthopedic division which sells most, mostly like sports medicine related products, you know, to fix your your joints, not implants, anything like that, right. but soft tissue. Uh, stuff and where I play is on our uh, in Canada we refer to as our general surgery business, but it's more surgical instrumentation and equipment for uh, minimally invasive surgery, um, different equipment around energy. So using energy in, in surgery, uh, it's quite a large portfolio. So we have you know maybe ten thousand SKUs that we we oh, wow. uh, have to cover, but it's it's it would be more focused, as they say, just on uh, minimally invasive uh, surgery technologies. Okay. And so when selling that, Garrett, do you go into uh, surgeries with, with surgeons or, or how, how, how involved are you in that type of the process? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So the Canadian uh, healthcare system is, is uh, as everyone knows, it's publicly funded. So it's an interesting environment to sell in from a, from a business standpoint. We sell to surgeons, as you know, so they're using yeah. our product, but they're not the customer in a lot of cases, right? The hospital is right. a customer. So depending on, you know, what it is we're selling, um, sometimes it's more of a, you know, an OR surgical commodity, a, a general instrument that, that uh, you know, many vendors sell. In some cases, we're working with administration to implement that product. In that case, we're in surgeries working with surgeons uh, to address any change or any questions they have about the product. Uh, in other instances, this is where it's really fun. We're selling more proprietary technology that, you know, have clinical benefit, whether it be from a patient perspective, uh, one technology in particular, it's called AirSeal. It has a ton of clinical uh, data and, and benefit in that um, it allows patients to recover faster. Uh, it provides the surgeon uh, a more stable operating environment. Uh, we have data that suggests that it can allow uh, patients to uh, reduce the amount of, uh, or surgeons to reduce the amount of narcotics that are being uh, prescribed to patients post-surgery. So there's right. all of these clinical benefits that uh, come with this technology. And, and we're working then with the surgeon uh, more as a, as a champion in, you know, hey, yeah, let's, let's, here's how to use it. I'll, right. I'll coach you that and support you in your cases, but you know, as a business professional, here's what we have to. Here's the business case we have to develop uh, to take to the hospital to say, hey, you know, this may cost more money, but it's you know offering this value to your patients and the patient experience. And so it becomes a very you know, depending on what side of 
of the table you're sitting where you're sitting, you know, we, right. we uh, wear a lot of different hats depending on they say what what we are uh, are selling that day. And, and so, so you know, one of the things uh, you know is is that my understanding is that it's it's very challenging selling to doctors because they're used to being the smartest people in the room. Or sorry, this is my what I make up, right? Because they typically are all through their entire life to get the marks to get in, and so. Mm-hmm you know, what sort of methods do you get them to get their buy-in? You know, I can imagine you, you know, dealing with a lot of challenging surgeons. You no, know, there's all sorts of TV shows. Everyone, you know, watch some of those challenging yeah. surgeons. It, it's surgeons are all, I mean, I wouldn't want to stereotype a surgeon because they're all they're great ones. There's some really personal ones. There's some challenging ones. There's, you know, but they're all yeah. interested in, in their practice for sure. Right. right? You all meet on a, on a common ground, you know, Let's talk about your practice and how I might be able to help it. And that's that's kind of a level playing field in, in that, you know, they're all concerned about the patient. They're all concerned about their practice. You know, and I think surgeons are naturally trained to be skeptics, right? We're right, not going okay. to necessarily, uh, you know, you don't want to be a walking brochure per se. You want to use right. relevant clinical data, supporting data that that is um, that will speak to them. Right. Um, you need to... You know, not as much, again, you need to know your technology through and through. You also yeah. need to know where it's going to maybe benefit them specifically in their procedure, right? Okay. Where they might have an interoperative challenge that we could address. You know, you need to, I was saying earlier, like the societal impact, right? Right now we have an opioid crisis, which is yeah. a lot of times, you know, can be the results of a prescribed medicine, right? Yes. There's pressure from their administration, uh, you know, to cut uh okay prescriptions and whatnot and you know if we have something that can help that and help them you know it'll be something they're interested in so it's really um you know i guess there's no one simple answer it's truly understanding uh you know the surgeon what their practice is really getting to know them doing your research doing your homework right Um, just because they're a general surgeon doesn't mean they do the exact same cases as the next general surgeon they might focus their their practice on uh, you know, a subspecialty or a certain type of procedure because they're the best at it. So right. do your homework. Um, you know, you don't have to win over every surgeon. That's not the goal. You're not going to right. sell everyone and, and, and everyone's not going to be interested in what you're selling. However, the goal, you know, to navigate a complex purchasing environment like the Canadian healthcare system, the goal is to find that champion that will, you know, that you can really activate to, you know, to really take your business proposal your technology over the finish line and work with administration to get it sold. So I, I don't find it challenging to, to sell to a surgeon in that, you know, here's my technology, here's what it does, here's what I can, you know, here's the value it can offer. Nine times out of 10, most a surgeon will be like, yeah, I'm interested in trying it. That That's easy. The challenging part then is to navigate the, you know, the, the, the environment that you're the procurement environment you're, you're 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 in because you know there's multiple layers of bureaucracy there's multiple influencers who may not have the decision or the power to make a decision right on their own but they certainly have the power to derail a decision so it becomes right. an exercise in almost politics because you're you're trying to make sure that everyone uh, you know from their perspective is is getting something or or you're appealing to something that is important to them and no one's forgotten because it could end up being a, a hurdle to derail the sale. So it's very, very 
complicated to navigate a deal from start to finish, um, more so than actually generating that initial interest. Okay, that's interesting. And and then a, a lot of the the technology that you're that you're selling is groundbreaking. So it's something that does work. You've got clinical uh, you know, information, here's what it is. And then it's, how do I break through? Um, you know, and what about going into surgeries and, and, you know, telling professors how to, sorry, surgeons, how to, how to use these clinical devices is it, how, how do you gain comfort with that? Is it gain comfort? It's a good word because it's, it is something that you, you have to get comfortable with. Um, yeah. it took me probably six, six months at least before I, you know, to get myself out of the the culture shock of selling into a healthcare environment, very apprehensive yeah. uh, to begin, but then it become, you know, it becomes second nature. Right. Um, so now it's, you know, basically a lot of times it's, it's working with the surgeon to show how the product is used. So they don't have any complications. I mean, there's a patient on the table, right? right. You want the experience for the patient and the surgeon to go smoothly. So you're there supporting uh, how the technology works, not necessarily how the, how to perform surgery the surgery. Goes. Yes. Yeah, we're, not, we're not experts in that. They're surgeons. We're yeah. experts in our technology. So it's understanding their process so that we can translate that process to how to use our device, uh, you know, in the beginning in a, in a very seamless manner so that they get all the benefit with no frustration. Because at the end of the day, it's stressful being a surgeon. There is a no patient kidding. on the table. No kidding. And that would be, uh, I, 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 I know, uh, uh, we've had a, a number of friends, former alumni who've been in your shoes and, and it's very difficult. I can totally imagine, you know, just dealing with the the challenges of uh, being in surgery and blood and all these sorts of things, right? You know, and coping with that. So, and okay with your dog, that's okay. The dogs, dogs, dogs keeping, you know, watching out, watching out for Derek, who's uh, in this rough neighborhood of London. You know, I'm sure yeah. there's someone, someone on the street and, uh, you know, uh, putting you at risk. <laughs> <laughs> I know one one thing as well is is now you're a regional business manager. So so you know tell us about the the transition from you know being a being a territory manager and now where you've got a team of people that you're coaching. Yeah. So um, you know we've had a lot of changes in our organization from over the years that have been there. Uh, it's mm-hmm. gone from you know when I first joined it had a very traditional sales structure, sales manager, you know territory managers underneath it. Right. Uh, We've done some a lot of shuffling with the organization, and you know we've gone back and forth to having roles where I was just independent. Uh, at one point, I was an I was an agent owner, so I ran my own. I was still with ConMed, but I, I actually was independent of the business. Oh, okay. okay. As an agent, so I was Panzer Medical, um, which allowed me to make uh, some different uh, you know staffing decisions. I could hire my own team, um, but ultimately that came to you know they came to me. At the beginning of this year, they restructured everything and said, we, we want you to run Ontario and Manitoba. Okay. Uh, lead a team of, uh, we'll be at the end of this year, about 11 people. Okay. So that, uh, you know, we need a lot. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, due to the technical nature of, of the role, we, there's a lot of technical support needed. We went away from, as I say, field management and it right. our business suffered as a result. And uh, as you say, I, I leadership and, and coaching and mentoring and managing was something that I enjoy doing. So when they right. kind of tapped me on the shoulder for the role, I was I was more than happy to uh, step up and do that. So um, my team now consists of, you know, industry 
you know, vets that have been in the industry for, you know, going on 20 years okay. to people that I've hired outside of industry that have never had a medical device background. I've had B2B, more B2B backgrounds. Right. Uh, and so I'm bringing them in, you know, onboarding them, uh, trying to translate and unlock that, that competency to get them up to speed as a, as a medical device rep. So I've, which is relevant for everyone on this call, if they're interested in medical devices, I, I'm of the mind that um, I'd rather see, you know, the competency of an excellent salesperson than a clinical background for a role in this environment. I think I can teach clinical. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a business background. I had no clinical experience. Right. It's the, you know, the, the fundamental salesmanship and, and the person that that is the, you know, the DNA of an ex excellent salesman is hard to find. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I'm, you know, what I'm interested in finding more so than, than an excellent clinician. Very difficult to, to teach the EQ um, yeah. skills necessary to, you know, mindset, you know, discipline to, to really uh, uh, participate at that level. Right. You know, again, you're, you're dealing with these, you know, just exceptional humans, as I've discussed, you know, again, these, these um, surgeons. And, and, and again, one of the, one of the things as well as having, Again, participate with people in the medical industry. If you don't know your stuff, if you're not really on it, it's just dismissal. You know, you're dismissed. You know, it's it, you know, so it's you just need to have it all together. The the interpersonal skills, the 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 capability of of, of walking through it, and then, like you said, the, the understanding your device, understanding how you can help people. Yeah. No. Well said. Absolutely. So one of the things that, that, you know, going through your, your LinkedIn that sort of interested me as well, and I know our leaders would, would be interested as well, is you went back and you did an MBA. Was that part-time? Was that full-time? And what was the thinking to go do it and et cetera? Uh, so I'm interested. Yeah. Um, so in 20, I guess in 2019, I, you know, getting my MBA, I'm a kind of lifelong learner. I yeah. always, whether it be reading a book or whatever, um, was always something that I wanted to do for myself. Um, and, uh, in 2019, I, you know, I thought now or never, and, and, right. um, basically enrolled with the Ivy, uh, school of business, yeah. um, 2019, I, I figured was kind of, well, you know, with, with life, I figured I better take the time while I have it. Uh, obviously we, you know, with different family planning and whatnot, I could go different directions really quickly. So, uh, I decided now is now or never. And, uh, right. So I enrolled with the Ivy EMBA program, the EMBA, the Executive MBA okay. program, yeah. um, which was, I would say, part-time. It was over a year and a half, so 18 months, where, uh, you know, like-minded individuals, about 50 of us got together, uh, one for four days every month and a, and a week every semester uh, to do, yeah, to, to go through the course. So it, it was right. about a 20, 20 to 25 hour a week commitment. They, right. Of course, they did on top of work. So I still worked full time. Yeah. Um, you know, work has to sponsor you in a way because it is a, a pretty big commitment on top of um, your, your regular responsibilities. You know, I think they have to be on board in the sense that you still need some time away. You still need right. vacation time. You can't if right. you're if you're going into it using all your vacation time to to pursue the EMBA, like you could do it. Are, are you going to come out the other side, you know, fully absorbing everything? Yeah. Uh, no you could have been, not, right. Yeah. You're, you're going to yeah. come out and, and it's going to 
going to look back on it as a, you know, more of a painful experience than anything. Right. Um, I will say that that, you know, you go into it, um, not skeptical, but they, the first night I was there, I remember, uh, it was a Sunday night and we were just about to start what they call a seven, you know, a week long residency. And it's a seven day, uh, seven days of classes, uh, eight hours a day, right. Four hours a class. So it's a pretty, it's a, you know, you're, you're drinking from a, from a fire hose right off, off, yeah. off an intent. And everyone, I, I can speak for my entire class that everyone going into that was, you know, super, you know, nervous and like, you know, apprehensive and anxious and, you know, it's first day of school all over again, but you're, you're in your mid thirties. Yes. <laughs> and absolutely. so uh, uh, I remember, you know, the profs leading the conversation that night, we're talking about how it'd be a transformative experience, um, this and that. And, you know, I was like transformative. I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm changing right know, at 35. You can't teach this old dog and tricks. And, and sure enough, at the end of it, like it, it changed me for sure. It changed as a awesome. business person with a question. Um, it, I, I'm not going to say necessarily it, if there's one nugget that I took away and say, Oh, I know that now. And now I'm right. You know, destined for success. It's, it's not necessarily that, but it's more like a framework on how I, you know, you, you think through a business problem or a business yeah. challenge in order to make, you know, a better informed decision, right. In order to communicate better within the business in order to, you know, be a better leader. Absolutely. Like with, yeah. within teams. Right. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a fantastic experience. I, I can't speak highly enough of, of the experience and, and certainly it made quite a network, uh, yes. the experience, which is, which is huge. Which is another huge takeaway from those programs. And it seems yeah. one of the things that's happened over the last couple of decades is they've moved more and more away or not necessarily away from, but rather than a specific MBA doing EMBA. So, so it's like, how can I keep my career going and career read? You know, uh, Derek's got a lifestyle. He's got kids and a family. And how do I keep this, you know, this cash flow going while also taking another jump in my level of understanding of the world in business? And so, so, and then again, like you said, how can we partner with my employer so that they can see and frankly, I'm sure as well, you young guy, you know, you know, you know, and who knows whether ComEd's the long, long thing for you, but definitely it's a possibility. Somebody's that much more prepared to be the future VP, to be the future president. So it's like they're they're developing better leaders in their business, you know. So so you know, I'm sure that's what they're thinking. And then for you, it's like, wow, you're seeing so many more opportunities. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I didn't. Uh... Some of my cohort, I know their embas were funded by their organizations. Just with that yeah. in mind, I, I yes, I did want a different direction. I wanted it, you know, complete control over, over, uh, you know, my future after the fact. Yes, uh, so I, I funded it myself, but that's that's the mindset with uh, you know everyone involved. I think. Well, yeah, exactly. And deciding how the, how you wanted that, right? And and on the other hand, you did get their buy in around needing extra time. So, so you did get some, you know, some buy-in from them, but, and, and it, it obviously, you know, is, is, is jumping to now what we're talking about is, is you've decided, you know, with this new knowledge, with this thinking, or did it come out of the, the EMBA, the idea of, of starting this, uh, this startup? Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah. So in, in the, in the EMBA, you, you know, you get it, you get an exposure to a large or wide variety of 
of uh, you know subject matter that's relevant to today's business. Yeah, uh, you know, there's the there's the exciting world of accounting and, and finance that that you, you can't seem to escape. Uh, however, they they mix in a little you know sustainability, for example, uh, in there as well. So you're learning some you know a lot about sustainable business practices and and and, uh, and whatnot. Um, so through the one sustainability uh, course I had, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with like a triple bottom line company. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, or a B Corp and, and we started Corp. doing, we had to uh, do a project on, you know, find a triple bottom line organization or a B Corp and, and do a, a project on them. I came across a uh, vertical urban farm in, in, uh, out of France um, that really compelled me as to what, you know, what they were doing. Um, mm-hmm you know, digging back and kind of peeling back the layers of what the problem they were kind of solving became extremely compelling, um, you know, and eye-opening that there was this, you know, food, you know, food security was, was a massive problem already, but it wasn't going to go away. Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, it's, it's obviously some parts of the world are more impacted by others, but it's, it's not, uh, specific to any part of the world, it, you know, every every part of our globe has as impacted by food security uh, in some you know way or another. On top of that, um, you know, bring it back to to my personal experience in in London, Ontario. You know, yeah. how was my food getting to my table? Right? Yes. Is this the most sustainable way for me to eat produce year round? Yeah. When it's being shipped, shipped from, from California, California or Mexico. You yes. Know, like how how does this make sense? Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, you know, learning about how much food is wasted throughout the process. So, so quickly after uh, had some free time, you know, a thing called COVID, I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, time. Uh, so I, I figured out, you know, doing this project, I looked at how I could do something similar back in London. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just to just have you know about a year and a half ago or if not longer started the journey uh to where i'm i'm just just about to launch uh had some supply chain issues uh but just about to launch um a business called local farms which would be uh a, a container based so a can uh based urban vertical uh hydroponic farm okay. so what we're planning on doing is is growing leafy greens things of that nature uh, you know, to begin with, uh, to the London and surrounding area, um, with plans of, of growing and, and, uh, you know, really taking our model. We have a unique model that I think, uh, will, will, uh, be successful and really, you know, replicating that, uh, hopefully, you know, in London and throughout all Southwestern Ontario and who knows from there. Who knows how far. Yeah. Who knows Very how exciting. Far. Because, yeah. because, you know, obviously all of us know what an impact, how we're living in the world is not working for the world. So, so it's, 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 we've, we're, you know, we're consuming too much energy and, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the cost of transportation is an enormous issue. So if we can take our farming and bring it to an urban environment, and then literally you're taking out, you know, 10% of 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 you know the, the typical cost of food uh, more, and again the, the the environmental damage associated with that that's a huge huge takeaway yeah. so 
describe if you could describe some urban farming so so just describe conceptually how big is this farm where you're building it just so i can understand sure so we have um right now we have two two shipping containers and that's what, so they're all closed shipping container environments which are you know basically 10 10 feet wide by 40 feet long um in each shipping container they have the the technology is, is basically like vertical walls where we can produce in each container about a thousand heads of lettuce per week so that's you know effectively like you know if you compare that to an acreage of farm you're you're upwards of like an acre to three acres of farmland in one container um, because relying on on hydroponics you're then cutting out about you know about 99 percent 95 to 99 percent of the water uh required for traditional farming right and then from there you're hyper local so again we we can just deliver it deliver yes. it you know farm, like true farm to table so a we're, we're using less water b we're going to be much closer to your you know your table to deliver the food um c it's a it's, it's a close environment it's it's we, we're we're not uh uh subject to having to use any pesticides or herbicides so really it's the most you know one of the most purest form of uh, farming and then uh, the last part being we can we can harvest our our crops with you know the full root ball intact. What yeah. that means is that it's basically a living living plant still, uh, so that you know shelf life of that you know head of lettuce is considerably longer than traditional uh, you know grocery produce. Where where you're bought, I'm sure we've all bought uh, you know a big thing of spinach or something and, and it's toasted right away because you don't know how long it's yeah you know it's got so. Um, hoping to impact yeah that 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 cycle on on multiple fronts and um, not to mention I I think because it's you know so pure you know chefs people that are foodies might enjoy yes it. it's it's a high quality premium product so I could totally see that so so originally is the market restaurants is it retail is it direct to consumer direct to consumer um, would be our our main target right now and and. Uh, you know, we're not, we're kind of boutique in a sense, because you know, we have, we can produce quite a bit. But that's, that's nothing like compared to what right. you would need if you, you're going to go into high, high uh, volume grocery. Right. Okay. So I think, I think, I think there's a value prop there to local restaurants when we, you know, as I say, I think we're going to have a bit of a learning curve here. Like, you know, right. I, we're not farmers. We, we, this is technology. Yeah. Um, I think, I think there's a huge value prop to, to the restaurateur, right? Definitely. Here, actually, custom grow you something. I yeah. can provide you a reliable, a repeatable supply chain year round. Yeah. You know, when you're thinking about their product, they're trying to create. I think I have a lot to offer, but is that something I want to get into until I'm extremely comfortable with my operation? Maybe not. I don't want to. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So it's kind of yeah. It may, might be better to go consumer because it, it's, there's not as much depending on it. They don't get some lettuce where if you're building these restaurant relationships, you get one chance to mess up and then they're yeah. out. So yeah, yeah, so you've got to really have the machine going. And in terms of next steps, so I imagine that just the first step is lettuce. The the, the next step are all sorts of other vegetables and fruit, I imagine, or? Yeah, I mean, um, the possibilities are really limitless. Like I know that you know they've success, like, successfully, there's been like 500 different things grown, right? So, okay. um, I kind of get excited of what 
what I'm going to learn going through this process and kind of what niche I may right. find um, for this stuff. So um, we, we, uh, yeah, as I say, we hit another big milestone not too long ago. We, we actually have a lot that we purchased for this business um, in addition to where we are right now. That was a residential lot that we just got approved for uh, so, to be rezoned for the you know urban agriculture. So we have you know we have I think a roadmap from where we are today to scale over the next three years, all in place. We just need to kind of you know, execute. Get to, uh, execute. Yeah, yeah. taking a lot of work to get here. Um, a lot of ton of learning. This is this is more about what you don't know than what you do know in a sense. Absolutely. Going across, um, you know, un- uncovering the next challenge and, but it's rewarding because that's, you know, you're just de- developing that skill set. You're developing that tacit knowledge that's going to yeah. provide a, you know, a, bar- a massive barrier to entry for someone that might say, Hey, that looks like that looks easy. I could do that. But you know, there's a thousand things behind the scenes. That's not easy. Yeah before you get to that point where it looks easy. 100%. And, and uh, you know, I know this whole space of, you know, how do we d- deliver food within 100 miles? You know, this whole concept of, you know, cutting cutting and, and, and making agricultural ag- agriculture work. Like, it really is amazing, you know, uh, from a worldwide perspective of, of, you know, being able in Canada to walk in shops and go, oh my gosh, look at the lettuce, look at the fruit that we get. It really is incredible. And you go, it's not really sustainable. So how do we, how do we, how do we change that? Because again, people don't want to give that up, but wow, could we do it so that it's actually more economical and more sustainable? And, you know, we, we've got a, um, you know, a, an economy and a world that works. So really exciting, yeah. Derek. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's just the entire industry is just, you know, ready for de- that level of disruption without question. And now the yeah. technology is there that, that it's going to, you know, lend itself to that. So it's just, I think it's just exciting. It's going to only improve uh, and get better and better and more efficient uh, yeah. and scale, uh, you know, more so over time. And it's, it's, uh, it's certainly the future of, of produce. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, and it's fascinating. And, you know, I, I, uh, I, I share often, you know, about this podcast, this podcast is, is, is about creating leaders who are really going to make changes in the world that we need. And these are one of those changes, Derek. So, so super excited um, about, you know, just what you're, what you're up to. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll tune back in as we go along, um, you know, and, and, and I know when I'll down in London, I'll come by and visit. So, um, but uh but what about thinking back over your career? Any big failures or mistakes and what you learn from them? Just because again, not like you know, as you know, you know, and being, you know, it's it's not always about wins, it's it's about it's about setbacks. Sure. Um, you know, I think there's a couple times in my career where you, you get comfortable. Okay. Right? You get comfortable in a process, you get comfortable in in uh, you know, your role, your assignment. Um Whatever it may be you're doing, where you start to narrow your focus, you get the blinders on, you you take things for granted, you cut corners. And, okay. and uh, you know, I remember losses way more than I remember wins. You bet. Because they sing a little harder. And, and and so there's been times where, yeah, a couple couple losses that I know were mine. And again, yes. it's not big deals, but it yeah. was just, I didn't 
you know, I cut a corner here. Yeah. Didn't it, thoroughly it, look at this here. Something very, very avoidable. avoidable. Yeah. Uh, that just stand out to me is, is you know, you got too comfortable. Yes. Yeah. No. You know, very humbling experience. Your competitors are hungry too. They're smart too. Yes. They're, you know, they're more than capable and don't take them for granted. Don't. You know, and they'll eat your lunch. Yeah, I know. And 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 you're right. And and I think to me, what what I point out to our leaders is, is if we did everything we could with mm-hmm. full integrity, full commitment, again, just checking everything out, and someone beat us, okay, right? We live with those ones. It's when we go, oh, I got lazy, and I didn't do every step, or I, you know, should have followed up on that, and I didn't, and then somebody stepped in, and I could have had it, and what was I thinking? That is what makes it really painful. You know, yeah, absolutely, and that's yeah. yeah as I say, yeah, it's still sting, right? And they, it's actually, it's sting now because uh, you know it motivates me not to cut corners going. Yes, yeah, and and it's interesting. It's one of the reasons I think why so many people are successful from sports background because it is that win lose thing. You know, what makes you work so hard to be a hockey player? For me, a swimmer, it's to go win. It's to go be the best I can be. And, and so then in business, it's the same thing and that we get to really go compete. And, and like you said, you know, it's, it, it's just, we do like to compete and we like to win better than compete. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. That's right. That's right. So if, if someone was considering venturing out into the entrepreneurial world, what, what advice would you give them, Derek? I'd say it's very easy to create a business model and a spreadsheet and 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 whatnot, but it's hard putting it into practice because there's so much. Again, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You'll encounter, you know, whole new worlds. Like working with the city, for example. I my dad was the head of planning for the city of London. Like I'm a planner's son. Right. I had no idea what that involved in in and you know working with the city on on planning and zoning regulations. Right. Yeah. And that's a whole education onto itself that is slow and um, you know, and, 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 and painful in case. Yeah. So I, I guess it's, it's just the, um, it's been humbling. Cause again, you, you can't control what's you can't control. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you want to snap your fingers and, and, and go, but you know, there's so many moving parts around you that, uh, that make that impossible that you have to be patient. Yeah. Um, you have to be thorough again, you know, with everything you do, because what I've found now is like, okay, something is going to naturally take its progression in the time a process will play out. However, what you don't want is to get to the end of that process only to miss, only realize you haven't done something over here and you're, you know, have to start that clock again or something. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's thoroughness to get things, you know, make sure that things are where they need to be uh, to move the process along as quickly as possible. Um, but at the same time, expect that and be okay with it. And because right. there's going to be setbacks, of course. Yeah, yeah. because there's yeah. setbacks. Um, yeah, and just just use every opportunity to learn because you're going right. to be better for it, and uh, you'll you'll be a better you know entrepreneur on the other side of it because you're going to know your business better than you know anyone, right? And you're going to know um, it's going to show. It's going to show up in how you talk about it, how you represent it, and 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 you know ultimately hopefully make people want to work with you uh, right. down the road. Permit, yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's so many pieces to it as well. I know you went out and raised money. So that's a whole other um, 
you know, journey and, and managing, managing, you know, uh, other, other fellow owners in the business model. So, mm-hmm. so it's, 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 uh, there's just so many things to take on that you weren't taking on in your previous role, right? Just a lot of different things, you know, as you went from a university student to a full-time value creator um, in, the, in the real world, quote unquote, what did you have to change about yourself? I think, you know, you can, I'm a fun guy. I like to joke around. I like to have fun. I'm like, I'm a, love having fun however you can you can bring fun you can bring your fun personality to work but it's you know it can't be the only thing i suppose like there's a time place you can make work fun it's okay to make work fun but um you know it's that balance i suppose of of fun versus work and making work fun or if that makes sense you know works the driver works works the driver driver, right right? works the driver you know make it fun but you know hey ultimately these companies are, are being are being you know are 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 looking for results to 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 create this company. Your startup is looking for results that are going to pay pay people and and make a make a product that works. Yeah, and so yeah, as I say, like not not that that was ever a um, you know a challenge for me. Like I, but it's perception, right? Yes. You can't, you can't always be the guy. You can't be the you know the class clown per se. Just the fun, yeah, the fun guy all the time. Yes, for sure. You want people yeah. to take your and your ideas seriously. Uh, so as you know, right at university, I think I was, I was, uh, you know, the successful sales guy, but you know, maybe not uh, perceived as as you know the, the leader I could be at that time because I was yeah. more focused on being the, you know, the popular guy in the bullpen, right? <laughs> yeah, and that actually, you're right. Is as you start to level up, right, and you know, sales manager and VP or starting entrepreneur, raising funds. People need to see. Oh, here's a guy with great energy, and not just the fun guy, because people yeah. don't want to invest in the fun guy. <laughs> so exactly. happy to have a beer with them, but not 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 invest in them. So, so um, and and what what habits would someone want to steal from you? You know, obviously the the results that you've got are, are really sure. you know created habits. I think my best habit that I have would be. So I'm an extremely tenacious, pro, you know, tenacious problem solver, right? Okay. So I, I don't know if that would be a habit or not per se, but say I, I will, I will dedicate my time and focus and energy until I solve the problem at hand, and maybe that's the habit: getting through one yeah. problem before I move on to the next one, or or one proposal if it's yeah. you know, really directing my focus and attention uh, to the you know the problem of the day, the proposal of the day, the deal. Yeah of the day to make sure, you know, we're putting our best focus there. Cause we can do that. We can repeat that and do it on the next one, but you know, you know, it, it doesn't serve anyone well if you're kind of juggling. Uh, Absolutely. Things um, one, you know, 90% focus gets 50% results. Yeah. I believe in that. So focus, 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 focus. Time. Yeah. Gary Keller says, you know, it's the one thing, the one thing that I do today that will make all the difference in everything else I do. Focus on that one thing. So to me, that's what you're doing. It's like, there's one problem. There's one thing that's going to make a difference in this deal. It's one thing that's going to make a difference focusing on that. And it takes real discipline to do that. It takes a lot of power, a lot of commitment. It's really easy to go, I'll go Again, the fun guy goes and makes the phone call to uh, you know the, the the customer that's easy to deal with or whatever. But it's like taking that level of maturity, that level of integrity, up to the next level. And, and it's to further that, like it's, and I I think I adopted this 
in my day-to-day, you know, 10 years ago that I never yeah. that I never did before is everything I do, every meeting I have, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm doing a pre-call meeting, what am I going to talk about? Why am I meeting with this person? Yeah. Uh, I have a, you know, an outcome or a business objective in my mind. I have an end destination that I want to be at. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I'm, that's more important to me than, than, you know, most things. Cause I, I can't, can't plan my meeting. I can't plan anything without that destination in mind and that goal of a business objective or whatever it may be. Certainly yes. in sales, like we got, you know, why are we, why are we here? Yeah. You know, and having that pre-call plan or that pre-meeting plan of what is the outcome I'm looking to achieve yeah. and reverse engineering it from there. Exactly. And then, and then I'm sure at the end, uh, Derek, you're looking and reviewing, how did we do? Did we achieve it? What, what's missing? What are the next steps? How do we set up? Just because, you know, for our leaders listening, again, that's, that's what we recommend we're doing when we're doing a canvassing session or when we're doing a, 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 an estimate and, and, and it's like, okay, here are the results I, I, I got. How did I do? You know, we judge and then we can get better and better and better. Like that's that, that focus is so key, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, we don't want to be in my industry, like, as I say, being in the, in, you know, in the healthcare world, being in a hospital, we don't want to be follow-up people. They're just going and, and, you know, making social calls. That is not appropriate. We need to be constantly bringing value, constantly having a purpose, um, and not wasting people's time. Right. There's a clinical environment. So it's, it's so important to be, you know, we can, we can be obviously socialize and be friendly. And and, of course, they say it's a busy environment and you, you have to have, purpose and 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 these deals are very complex as you mentioned as well so it takes many 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 steps to get the get the deal done yeah and and that's a great point because as i say without that laser focus on each interaction and you're you're moving a deal forward in you know increments right yeah it's degrees and and yes um not giant steps the long cycle you're moving things forward in increments so sometimes that that business objective or outcome could be something small like it doesn't have to be like a you know i'm getting a po and i'm walking out of here yeah with my quota for the year no it's it's an incremental win um but you have to have that level of detail to move it one degree further yeah and and again derek's environment you know leaders you know so many influencers so many people can support the deal or or hold back the deal and 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 again very, very thoughtful people too, right? Like, you know, again, we're dealing with, you know, healthcare, healthcare Canada, what an incredible uh, institution. So everyone is very thoughtful. Everybody's really caring. So making sure that everybody's needs are met, everybody's, you know, looking at it from a really, really wise perspective. So, so it's, it, and it takes somebody to really quarterback it, right? That's really who you are in these deals too, quarterbacking it through. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely who we are. So final question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind, Derek? Leader of tomorrow. Someone who, you know, I, I, what comes to mind to me is character and, and the dimensions of what, you know, the character of a leader is. You know, this is an Ivy thing that we were taught where, you know, the character of leadership is a 13-dimensional uh, function. And in order to be like the, an amazing leader, you need, you need to be proficient in all these different dimensions of character, mm-hmm. you know, integrity and and uh you know honesty like there's multiple facets of being a good leader and if if you're weak in any one dimension you, you know it might really take away from being you know really maximizing your potential so it's being a well-rounded individual who's 
you know, basically does things for the right reasons. Yes. Right. And, 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 and the character behind that to make the decisions that may not be the most popular decision, uh, might not be the most profitable decision. It might upset someone that you're like, it might be a harder decision to make, but it's that character uh, that I think, yeah. you know, leaders of tomorrow need to have that's going to really, you know, propels society, I suppose. Yeah. And, and, and it's like what you're up to. And, and fr- frankly, I, I think really what I like to think we're up to having a business that is about more than profits, right? Profits is what happens when you create a lot of value in the world. There's profits. But what is it doing for the community? How sustainable is it? You know, how are you treating your people? Are you treating your people? You know, what's what's the level of empathy and compassion in your business? You know, all these things that really, really matter. And and it's it's there's been a wonderful shift since I've been in business about, you know, that money was the thing in the 80s. That's how you judged a business, you know, and 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 now more and more people are saying no. We, we need to look, you know, just really wholly in our business. And we look really wholly as a as an economy in our world, as how we doing things to really support and, and create the best world we can. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, fully believe in that. And I think that, you know, as I say, that's only picking up more momentum that, you know. It's only thinking. picking up steam. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's great news for businesses like yours, because, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where I think if things are close, people will support, you know, uh, that the sustainable uh, choice. You know what I mean? Obviously, we want to have it so that actually there's an economic advantage on top of it being a better product and and less transportation costs, et cetera. But when we get it close, people will feel good, and especially the earlier adopters, as you know, right? People feel like, hey, they can they can bet with their money, right? And and certainly our our clients bet with their money. They love to support, like back in the mid mid two uh, thousands, support young young guy by the name of Derek Panzer to to have have them paint a bunch of houses because they saw in them. Oh, here's here's a future business leader, you know, and I think that's what supports our business so much, right? So, so Derek, thanks so much. Uh, you know, uh, really, really love this conversation. Love what you're up to, and uh, I wish you success. And and again, we'll be tuning back in to to see all the, the the future successes and the future challenges. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Chris, and I'm happy to share uh, my journey as it unfolds. It's. Uh... I'm worried that I might have more gray hair next time you see me. (laughs) I hope you enjoy that. I've got got lots, especially if I let it grow in. You you know, you just notice it's pretty bald. So so then you don't see it every single year. (laughs) Okay, take care. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. But to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now, and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.